Let us pray. Grant, O oh Lord, that because we have met together here today, life may grow greater for those who have lost faith in it, simpler for those who are confused by it, more secure for those who would escape it, happier for those who may be tasting the bitterness of it, safer for those who are feeling the peril of it, more friendly for those who are feeling the loneliness of it, and holier for all to whom life may have lost its dignity, its beauty, and its meaning. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. who preached last is taller than me. <laughs> to what do you belong? I've been thinking about this a lot as I have recently returned from the North American Cathedral Deans and Spouses and Partners Conference. It needs a better name. <laughs> it's a group that I belong to now and a group that up until August of 2020 I did not belong. I was recently asked to join another group of clergy, a gathering of leaders of Episcopal congregations situated in urban and suburban settings across the United States. As I accepted the invitation to join, I thought even more about what it means to belong. What are the hallmarks of belonging. What do we need to belong? How do we get to a place of belonging? In our gospel, Jesus finds himself in the portico of Solomon, an old and sacred part of the temple on a late day in December in Jerusalem. And it's the festival of the dedication. We know it better as Hanukkah. It honors the rededication of the temple after it was defiled by the Syrian Greeks in 164 BCE. It's the time when the Jewish people would come and rededicate themselves as they honor the rededication of the temple. It's really a festival of belonging of naming and declaring that to which they belong. And it is there that it is asked in a plain and simple way. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, they said to Jesus, tell us plainly. Now, perhaps you can understand why this question was asked at that point of Jesus' life. But maybe, like me, you've been curious about why we are hearing it, this story, now, a mere four Sundays after experiencing perhaps the greatest proof of Jesus' messiahship. If you are the Messiah, if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. 
Now, friends, there is an easy way out for us from the painful response that Jesus gives when he says, quite plainly, I've told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you don't believe because you do not belong to my sheep. And this is where it would be so easy for us to say, well, not me. I belong to the sheep. We're not like them, those others who have dedicated their life to another way. Look at us. We're at church on a Sunday morning. We haven't even had enough coffee yet, but we're here. But we have to come back. We have to come back to the question of why we hear this December story four Sundays after Jesus' resurrection in the month of May. Well, perhaps Jesus' pronouncement isn't just for those that we think are so easily identified as being on the outside. Because, and here's a confession for you, there are times when I don't believe. There are times when I find myself in that place of suspense, waiting impatiently for Jesus to make himself known in the pain and hurt of the world. There are times when I am frustrated at what I perceive is God's lack of compassion and understanding for the pain and chaos and turmoil of the world. And there are times when I am frustrated, even angry, when I have determined that God has not been swift enough or exacting enough in judgment and punishment of the evil that surrounds us. We prayed in our opening collect that Jesus is the good shepherd. And Jesus tells us in our gospel that his sheep know his voice and that he calls to his sheep. So what does it mean then? What does it mean when we don't hear Jesus? What does it mean when trust fails and doubts arise and when there are more often than we would perhaps want to admit times when we trust ourselves more than we trust Jesus that perhaps we aren't convinced of either Jesus's capacity to speak or our capacity to hear Perhaps you may be a little nervous now as you think maybe my place in the fold isn't as secure as I thought. I certainly thought that. Upon first reading or listening to our gospel passage, it may seem as if belief is the requirement to belonging to the fold. 
Belief is what makes you a sheep of the good shepherd. In actuality, I think Jesus is saying the exact opposite. I think Jesus is saying, you have not fully committed to belonging, and so you find it hard to believe. This is something that both theologian Debbie Thomas and the right Reverend Andrew, Andy Doyle comment on in their thoughts about this passage from John's Gospel. Can we truly believe if we have chosen to belong somewhere else? Can we truly believe that Jesus is the Good Shepherd when we have chosen to be sheep with one foot in the pen and one foot out, or maybe it's like two feet in and two feet out? If we have chosen to be sheep who come and go as it's convenient for us, or if we are sheep who like to stand outside of the flock with judgment as we stay in a place of security and privilege and status. To quote Debbie Thomas, and therein lies our hope and our consolation. According to this text, whatever belief I arrive at in this life will not come from the ups and downs of my own emotional life. It will not come from a creed or a doctrine or a cleverly worded sermon. Rather, rather, belief will come from the daily, hourly business of belonging to Jesus' flock, of walking in the footsteps of the shepherd, living in the company of the sheep, and listening in real time for the voice of the one whose classroom is rocky hills, hidden pastures, and deeply shadowed valleys. If I won't follow him into those layered places, places of both tranquility and treachery, trust and doubt, I will never belong to him at all. I don't know about you, but that perfect and unwavering belief is not required to show up as a sheep. It's an immense relief. But it does mean that we have to embrace that there are no simple answers. It means that the complexities of both the human and the divine cannot be boiled down to pithy sayings or government policies. To have Jesus as our good shepherd, it means that we cannot be like those on that December day in Jerusalem, they who, quote, wanted to believe from the outside. They wanted a version of proof that would not require them to step into the smelly sheep pen and muck around with the other sheep. They wanted certainty without risk, truth without trust, a Messiah who would provide but not provoke. That kind of plain telling, Jesus said, is not available. The only knowing that is being offered is an incarnational knowing, a knowing that happens within and among the fold.
So growing up, we had sheep. Well, my oldest sister had sheep, which actually meant that my dad had sheep, and I will tell you this, sheep are not the brightest. These sheep of ours, they would escape. They would wander, and the ram especially was particularly unkind. And I used to think, well, that's just what sheep are. I wonder now how much of that had to do with their lack of shepherding. And this is not to put down my dad, who is sitting right back there today, because he was a great caretaker in light of the fact that he had three unwilling daughters to his 4-H project. But, dad, no offense, he was not the shepherd of the days of Jesus where the sheep would know the smell and the sound and the touch and the ever-present care of the shepherd. Those sheep back then, they had placed their whole trust in the shepherd because they were his, and he was theirs. Beloved, we literally sit today, today, under the watchful gaze of the good shepherd, and we see the tenderness and the care of the one who calls us. But being Christian isn't a spectator sport. It isn't something we can just do on a Sunday. If we desire to hear the one who calls us, then we best be showing up in prayer, in study, and in our communities all of the communities to which we belong. It means that you don't get to pick the sheep around you, and in fact, if you keep showing up, you will likely find yourself called alongside those to whom you would never willingly choose to be associated with. And then again, they might not want you either. When we belong to the flock, we will be called to hard places, to death, and to sorrow, but also to still waters. We will be called to go where it isn't convenient, to be with people who are unclean and undesired, and it will be there that our souls are revived as we are guided along right pathways for his name's sake. We will, as you certainly know, walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but fear no evil. It is together under the care of the Good Shepherd that we do not perish, that we know eternal life, and that we are held always in the loving embrace of the one who calls us. I invite you, my friends, beloveds, to consider well the words found in the Revelation to John, one of the most confusing and bizarre and just weird pieces of scripture. It talks about this great 
multitude, a great multitude who have come to sing praises to God. In fact, that's all they do, night and day. And why? Because they have come through the great ordeal. We do not know who they are. Maybe they're like you and like me. Maybe they are like all of the people we don't understand and don't like. And we don't know what the great ordeal is, but maybe we've had a taste. But we do know that that great multitude, having come out of the great ordeal, they do not hunger or thirst. And God has wiped away every tear from their eyes. May it be so for us. May it be so for all of God's beloved children of God. Amen. Amen.